Hi, I'm Fred Burton, and I'm very excited to host this special episode as part of our Protective Intelligence Honors Program, a program we developed at the Center for Protective Intelligence to celebrate the top pioneers and thought leaders in physical security. We are recognizing professionals who have driven new shifts in novel practices and are contributing to influencing and advancing the physical security and protection industry. Today, I'm speaking with one of our pioneers, Bruce McIndoe. Bruce is the president of McIndoe Risk Advisory, LLC, to discuss his views on leadership, changes in the physical security space, and more. For his complete bio, please visit our website, protectiveintelligencehonors.com. Bruce, welcome. Welcome, Fred, and uh, looking forward to the conversation. And so am I, Bruce. Uh, You have had such an impact in this industry. Take me back to 1999. (laughs) We're going to lop off the prior 20 years. No problem. (laughs) 1999, uh, April, uh, I left working in the intelligence community and um, was actually kind of wandering about, wondering what to do. And uh, actually worked and helped at a college incubator in Western Pennsylvania, my old Elmer Mata uh, Allegheny College. And uh, met up with a young former naval uh, officer, young fellow, and started talking about travel risk and travel intelligence. Uh, I had started a company called B2B Web Solutions, and uh, he convinced me to in October to start what became iJet Travel Intelligence. Bruce, uh, that is a pivotal year because uh, as I hearken back in those days, I left the government in 99 to start up uh, what at the time was the first protective intelligence program in corporate America, which included a counter surveillance component to this. And I think that all of us in this industry owe you a tremendous debt of gratitude for what you created with iJet, which was really transformational in that time period. It, it was for the commercial market where I came from, which was essentially 20 years working in the intelligence community. It was what we were building right back in, in that time and learning about open source and doing all of those things. Actually, Ken Minahan was the uh, director when I left and uh, ultimately went to Paladin and talked to him about dual use technology and those kinds of things. And and uh, so when I came into the commercial market and I looked at what, what was going on, it was really abhorrent. It, there was just, there was no real intelligence capability in, in my vernacular of real government quality in the market. And we set out to build it. Well, and you did a damn good job, and iJet was the first to stand up a 24 by 7 global watch operations center. Yep, it was, uh, again, based on INW watch, indication and warning watch, uh, you know, strategy. Uh, we had three echelons of intelligence, uh, you know, kind of operational uh, was our primary. We did some tactical, but then we also did strategic and Stratfor and others. Uh, you know, covered off that with with great you know depth and, and quality. So we really focused on that op intel uh, echelon. 
Bruce, uh, as I look back, having spent a lifetime in this business, there's certain inflection points in our industry. And it struck me that I don't know why that time frame for our mutual steps into this kind of business. But uh, as you looked at that at the time, did you ever think that corporate America would be interested in a global watch operations center? You know, it was it was interesting because when I started, when we were doing our work, uh, you know, remember, you know, Black Friday was March of uh, 2000 when the, the dot-com bust, right? Right. And uh, so, you know, we were looking at the market, trying to raise money and had to answer that question. And I had an opportunity to meet uh, Kroll and their Kroll Information Service, KINS. Uh, I met, uh, I think it was Kevin Brown at Pinkerton with the Pinkerton Global Information Service. And basically their most timely product was essentially a daily, but even the Kroll daily was five days a week, lights off on the weekend. And so when I talked to some people, uh, Hank DeGenesta was uh, one of the key people, former uh, you know chief of police and ran the New York Port Authority uh, police and then was at Prudential. And talked to him. I talked to you know uh, at Cigna, at, at, at you know a bunch of these companies, and asked them, and they were like, "This would be awesome." So and so it's like these you know security managers that worked at with you know with government nexus said, "Yeah," and uh, so we pushed on, and and then those were our initial clients when we launched in uh, April of two thousand one. And then you went on to acquire key players in this space, correct? Yep. So it was, uh, so those relationships back, you know, at 99, early 2000 that I had started with the Kroll and uh, met with Mike Tchaikovsky and, and, and uh, Chas Persati and some of those players back then. And uh, as we were moving through and just, you know, really taking on clients, you know, basically said, but we're not going to make this, you know, multi-million dollar investment, you know, why don't we team up? And so we ended up buying Kins in uh, August of 2002. And uh, Kroll became a part, a minority owner in iJet. And then in uh, January 2003, we uh, purchased uh, Pickerton Global Information Service uh, as they were going through their transformation. And so at that point, as we entered 2003, we were the primary provider for full spectrum intelligence and just started, you know, marching uh, forward with, you know, the commercial market and what we were doing. No doubt. Uh, you would be hard pressed uh, during that time period to think of uh, anybody else doing more in this space. Uh, you really captured an industry there. And then you rebranded as World Aware. Yeah, so so some things happened. You know, back in the early 2000s, you know, content was king. You probably remember that phrase, right? Oh, yeah. You know, AOL and all that. And the reality was, you know, when I came out of the intelligence community, you know, yes, good intelligence is really critical, right? High quality, high source, you know, quality sourced intelligence. But the most important thing is to get it in the hands of the decision maker, right? And so I, I did, you know, support to, to, you know, bit the warfighter. I did support to decision makers, you know, and policy. Uh, and, and over and over again, it was all about dissemination 
and ultimately getting feedback from those consumers. And so what, where we really started to, you know, win this battle for a long time was understanding that by going in and instrumenting these companies and understanding their critical assets, their footprint of their facilities and their people and where they were and all those things, I could then take the intelligence that we were producing and not give them an 80 page, you know, DHS infrastructure, you know, open source thing every day that they have to go through and figure out what's relevant. We would actually do the relevant automatically, the relevance matching, and then surgically disseminate to those people that actually cared about the asset. And that's ultimately what, you know, got us to where we were not only you know, a platform for generating high quality intelligence, but more importantly, putting it to, to work. And, and so when we went through that transition and we really started to double down on the technology ecosystem for putting this uh, intelligence and making it actionable and, and, and people actually using it, uh, that's when we made that name change. And we had acquired a, a company from Aon called WorldAware which had all the branding rights, you know, and the IP for that and just said, sounds good. Let's run with it. Yeah, that's an amazing story and an amazing uh, tribute to your vision in this space and filling a critical need, Bruce. Uh, I must say, as uh, been watching your business for a long time now. Let's switch gears for a second, Bruce. I'm going to hit you with a hard question now. How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for a later success? Uh, or better put, do you have a favorite failure of yours? Well, let's put it this way. There are so many failures. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, my background is I'm actually a high energy physicist uh, in my training. Then I went to Johns Hopkins and ended up uh, graduating with a master's in computer science. But as a physicist and a scientist, you live by the motto that if you don't fail, you never learn. And, um, you know, you just push ahead. You have a, you know, hypothesis. You try to figure out how to validate that. And, and many, most times you fail. Uh, so that, that was my upbringing. I have uh, started seven, I think, businesses now in the course from college until now. Uh, only two of those were, you know, financially successful. Um, and so, you know, you learn from that about organizations and the importance of cash flow and, and, uh, and, and how you treat people to maintain and grow a business. So, you know, all those. And then, of course, working in the corporate sector is, is a, is a bruising, you know, uh, arena, uh, every day. And so, you know, you learn. And I think because we were always open to criticism, feedback, and we always took it to heart. And we always tried to go back and make it better. Again, that whole kind of history of my background as a scientist is what we, I think, where we earned the respect of our clients. You know, we didn't try to BS them. We just said, yeah, let's go fix it and uh, work with them to fix it. So I think that's, you know, a no favorite one. It was just like a continuum. Bruce, what motto do you live by? <laughs> now, that's an easy one. I got three generations of Eagle Scouts and, and my <laughs> father, myself, and my two sons. Uh, do a good turn daily is generally the, the one that I live by. I, I look at as I always try to do one act of kindness a day, uh, whatever it may be, whoever I may run into. 
Um, and uh, it has, um, you know, helped me as a person and, uh, and just, you know, brightens somebody's day every day. Bruce, as someone who early on was uh, part and parcel to when we first uh, stood up uh, the joint terrorism task forces around the country and before DHS existed and after 9-11, when you started looking at uh, collating intelligence for your GSOCs, how did you go about making sure that the left hand knew what was happening on the right hand? I know how complicated that can be, especially as you spread out over geography. So the other, again, you know, when you look at iJet, there was, you know, I talked about dissemination. That was the whole WorldQ platform, incredibly important. But the most important piece of what you just did is, is we had a built a system that actually I had built uh, when I was in the government at NSA. Uh, and we termed it the OWC, the Operations Work Center. And what that had, and remember, this is back in 2000, right? Late 1999 and 2000. Basically, it was a intelligence production platform. It had uh, pedigree sourcing. You know, we managed the source catalog. They were all rated. Everything we collect was in a collection repository so that everybody, no matter where they were on the globe, when they accessed this, had the same raw information to work with. We had analytic tools, we had workflow. So depending if you were doing a critic, you know, a critical alert, um, you know, you had a certain workflow. We had uh, went through editors that actually reviewed the, uh, the work that the analysts did, that they were allowed to collaborate. So we had a matrix of, of like domain expertise, whether it was in transportation, whether it was in geopolitical, whether it was in um, uh, health, all those. And then we had geographic experts, right? So we would have the geographic experts working with the domain experts on the particular issue. All of that managed through that platform. So we could bring a young analyst in and, and they have the entire history of everything that this company has done every moment prior to them sitting at that console and then could start to participate in that workflow, work with senior people to learn from. It was, it was a tremendous or is a tremendous, tremendous tool. And, uh, and that's where we were able to maintain consistency and quality and bring people on board and have them participate and be productive. Yeah, that's simply brilliant. Looking back over what you just explained, is there anything that you would do differently? Um, you know, we were late to the game in, in really deploying analytics, you know, AI and machine learning uh, to not only the collection process, uh, which we had some, you know, good work there done, but it was more in the, in the analytics side. That's when I was starting to, you know, phase out. We had we brought in uh, Ben Allen, and um, and and so that it just you know the, the the investment we were doing a lot of other things. You know, we broadened the platform to be more of a full spectrum capability. We had the uh, the hotlines. We had the global response capability through our network and all of those things. So those were the things they were focused on. And my love was always intelligence and getting that in the hands of the operator. And uh, that that was, you know, good enough. And uh, so we kind of hit a plateau 
And I love the stuff that I'm seeing, like OnTick and GeoSpark and all, all those, you know, just the, the next gen coming in behind us. And I wish we could have had the opportunity to meld uh, that, those modern technologies on the kind of, you know, analytic side uh, with our, you know, operational history as far as intelligence collection and production. But uh, that dream was not to be lived. Bruce, uh, you've always uh, been one of these individuals that's able to look out over the horizon and anticipate uh, what's next. Uh, as you know, in our space, we tend to get stuck in ruts or we're dealing with legacy systems or or bosses that don't get it in corporate security. We, we've all been there from time to time. So... Based on your experience, what do you see as the biggest changes that you would expect to see in the physical security space, let's say, over the next one to three years? What's on the horizon? Well, you know, I was a, a great forecaster back in 20, probably 16 at the uh, ASIS Middle East Conference. I did a, a talk on convergence physical and cyber, right? Uh, way, way, good idea, uh, way too way ahead of my time. Uh, but what I'm seeing and what I'm doing right now, right? What is McIndoe Risk Advisory doing? It is saying to companies, look, you had a existential threat to your business, the COVID. What did you do? You broke down all the silos you brought all of your experts that can that know how to operate your business together into a task force and you said keep us alive and what they did is and they said looked at what the issues were they they developed solutions they deployed them if they didn't work they tweaked them then they put it back out again you know they applied agile to operational resiliency and keeping the business going and I'm telling senior managers as I'm talking to them and working with them, it's like, why do you ever want to give that up? Why do you want all these people to go back to their silos and be back to where you were in you know, early 2020? And so I'm helping companies essentially reimagine how they are doing risk management, how they're doing operational risk and, and, and break down those silos. And, and that is unstoppable now. So if you say the next three years, you're going to see more and more companies looking out there saying, you know what, we're going to stop with these functional silos and we're going to step back and say, we have to protect four things. We have to protect our people. We have to protect our facilities and operations. We have to protect our supply and we have to protect our information. And I want everyone that has a nexus in those assets to, to work together as an integrated team working with federated data. So when I'm looking at a person, I know everything about that person. One for retention and, 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 and supporting that person, but also for insider risk and for duty of care and for their, you know, HR benefits and whatever it is. Think of it as, you know, CRM for people risk management, right? So it's those kinds of trends now that are unstoppable because we don't have a workforce that's coming into a facility and there's a security workforce and all of that, you know, kind of 
Don't worry really about them. Oh, they're traveling. Then I'm going to worry about them. But when they come back, I'm not going to worry about them anymore. Those days are over. You know, we've got people spewed all over the place in residences, you know, work from anywhere, some offices, out in client sites, posted workers. Companies see and understand that they have to change and they have to unite and have all of these disciplines pulling the same direction that are going to protect the business, operational resiliency, and those four asset classes. That's what's going to happen in the next three years. Bruce, I want to thank you, and I think I can speak for a whole host of people just like me for your innovation and what you've done in this industry to get us where we are today. And we truly appreciate you being on the OnTick Protective Intelligence Podcast. Yeah, Fred, it's my pleasure. Obviously, I've known you in and out of the community for 20 years and a great honor. Thank you, sir. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by the OnTick Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontick.ai slash center. Again, that's ontick.ai slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontech.ai or visit ontech.ai slash center for more information. And thanks for listening.